Welcome, everyone, as Fantastic Geek talks the premiere of Willow, the TV series. My name is Matt, and joining me, as always, is Pete. Hello, Pete. Hello, Matt. Hello, everybody. Here to talk to you today about the two-episode premiere of Willow, the series on Disney+. Pete, let's start with let's start with this. Fast forward, nay, rewind uh, to probably late eighties, maybe as maybe nineteen nineties, something like that. I'm over at my friend's house, Dominic down the street. Okay, he's got the tape for Willow. We're watching it, you know, having a good time. The old VHS, you know, hangout, some chips and so forth, and. In all sincerity, that was the first time what we would now call, you know, here with a thousand faces. I know it was out there then in 1990, but not to, you know, 10 year olds here with a thousand faces, the commonality of myth and so forth. My first exposure to any of that was when all of a sudden the um, the the guy who wears the uh, the skull helmet, his helmet breaks and we're like General Kale. Yeah. Oh, named after critic Pauline Kale. Yes, it all comes back. Um, all of a sudden we kind of go, wait a minute, Empress who does magic <laughs> guy in a black mask. Who's like, you're on the ground villain by George Lucas. Hold on. Star Wars emperor who does magic. Okay. An Ewok. Exactly. And you know, Mad Mardigan kind of the, the American actor, square jaw kind of hero. Okay. That's kind of your Han Solo, some elements, similar, some elements different. Um, and you know, and, uh, Sorsha kind of princess Leia, uh, Willow himself, kind of the audience port, the, the guy we're rooting for Luke Skywalker and so forth. Um, so it was with, and, and I don't know that People, I don't know that people have like, I don't know that there's a big community out there with like Willow tattoos and like, here's my thesis on how Willow helped me get through life and so forth. I'm sure it's out there, but it's not, it's not Star Wars, Star Trek, Marvel, DC, and things of that sort. Um, but it's with all of that as a prelude that, that I, I tucked in to watch these two episodes. I came to the movie similarly on home video. I, I don't know that it's a movie a ton of people watched in theaters. I mean, the Star Wars initial popularity had passed. This was very clear. George Lucas, hey, I want to give Warwick Davis my Ewok uh, a starring role, created it for him it's also very much like uh lord of the rings but not lord of the rings because he didn't have those rights um but uh you know watched it on video rewatched it again um actually a couple times within the last year it had popped up first on um disney plus around the time of the announcement of the series with the cast and everything and then uh, rewatched it within the last little bit really only has one decided distinct set piece, you know, with the two headed dragon that comes out of the, uh, the troll when Willow does a little magic there. Um, I have fonder memories of the 1989 Capcom uh, Willow video game for the Nintendo Entertainment System um, that was really well done. 
but I, I think the uh, film, the character, now a franchise, has a place. And I, I think with John Kasdan here, who, listen, son of famed screenwriter Lawrence Kasdan, Empire Strikes Back, okay, uh, on the set of Solo, tells Warwick Davis, I'm going to uh, pitch a Willow series, a, a return of your character. And, and even Warwick Davis was skeptical. Uh, but a couple years later, here we are. Look, I love that Jonathan Kasdan is so enthusiastic about this and so forth. I did think it was a little like for him sharing that picture on, on the set of Solo and so forth. You know, who would have thought that we would have got here? Really, 20-year veteran of Hollywood and son of guy who has worked with George Lucas longer than um, anybody not named John Williams. Um, wow, how did John Kasdan possibly possibly get yeah. his foot in the door there as he, a... He does, he does have, uh, you know, a, a little bit of an advantage, um, and I'm sure he'd tell you that. Um, but, you know, this is not a... Uh, property that a lot of people were clamoring for a return. And I, I think in what they've done here, obviously you got to bring back the, the titular character. And oh, 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 do you, Pete? Because as I was watching the first episode, I was wondering if that would happen. But I'm sorry, please continue. Uh, 40-year career in Hollywood here, okay? Uh, all these character parts... Uh, very, very popular, affable. Uh, um, and to go about it here, I, I think they've largely taken the right approach. Well, Pete, let's talk about that first episode. Okay. I thought that certainly the first half of that first episode, it was, it, it was one of the greatest things I'd ever seen on the CW problem is this is not the cw now pete i also was sitting there going i have distinct memories of various pop culture moments uh since 1994 sitting with my uncle who has not been happy as uh i, I don't think he i don't think he would acknowledge this but has not been happy as sometimes pop culture has passed him by and taken you know his captain kirk in star trek generations in favor of the cowboy diplomacy, Picard, or the no cowboy diplomacy, all of that stuff, right? So I'm sitting here going, okay, well, I'm middle-aged now. Am I being a jerk because there's all these beautiful people who uh, are, I think, are giving cardboard performances and I can't tell them apart? Uh, and then there's Tony uh, Revelieri, who is wonderful, nuanced. I'm okay, fine. We know him from the Spider-Man films also, you know, a couple of... Uh, couple of uh Wes Anderson outings and so forth but uh, Pete I would say the decision in the first episode to hold off the reveal of what if we got help from Willow because I suspect Pete Jonathan Kasdan has said we need to really establish the audience to really be behind these uh you know these these new characters and so forth they need to root for the prince and the princess and the, you know, the kitchen maid who very clearly is also uh, Elora. And, you know, they, they need to root for these people. Pete, I would argue, I remember in the Willow movie, they do a good job 
really in the beginning having us all root for somebody who I feel like, uh, you know, because as a porch for the audience, such a character needs to be somebody where we go, whoa, their challenges are great. However, their charisma is there. And there's also there's also potential. Pete, that is Willow in the movie. Why hold off on the title character who's also somebody, I would argue, as a middle-aged straight white guy, I would argue that Willow, nonetheless, is somebody who uh, all people can root for, given, you know, the 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 the, the short stature and so forth of Warwick Davis and the challenges I'm sure that has presented in life. I think that I would argue that regardless of your background, regardless of your age, regardless of and so forth, uh, you can if you open with Willow, you go, that's the guy I want to root for as he meets the cast of the CW's 9021 Will O. I appreciated the way in which they reintroduced the character. They build a little mythos behind him. And also that it's not exactly accurate. That Sorsha, okay, I give it up for Joanne Wally Kilmer rejoining here, okay? Haven't done Daredevil, haven't done this back in 1988, okay? Obviously met her ex-husband on the set of the film, but, uh, you know, to build up this idea, Willow is a great sorcerer and then Willow's the high old one now. OK, he's, you know, in a, in a sense of leadership and the flashbacks in the second episode also clarify some tension in that relationship, further world building and what's gone on in between. Uh, but that he's not exactly the greatest sorcerer and what is magic and and what is his trajectory anyway so i was really cool with the way that they went about it pete i think it's the benefit of the story that prince eric uh you know is uh disappears uh towards the the second part of these two episodes and so forth if nothing else it gives us a chance to tell the difference between uh the performance of dempsey burke his actor and uh the performance of ruby cruz who plays princess kit um pete you know as an american i sure feel good that all the real tippity top royal uh hot prince and princess people that they're american and that the the brits uh like aaron kellyman get booted down to knight in training and, and my liege and all of that status so that that was a casting choice i was wondering with the red hair because early on it turns into the guessing game of all right who who's gonna have secretly been elora dannon all along um and i thought maybe they'd go with kellyman like all right there you are um i'm still a little surprised at that given her visibility amongst this cast here i mean you're not going to make tony revelori um elora dannon although you could but anyway, uh, I think he's got Ruby, range, maybe not quite that range with all due <laughs> respect to him. I think with Ruby Cruz, um, not only did they get a great performer, they got somebody that really embodies the attitude of a child of uh, 1980s Val Kilmer. Um, I look at her and. I watch and I really feel that come across. Um, I feel it as well with uh, Brike, but uh, to a to a lesser 
extent. And like you said, I think they made the right choice. They they took the the one sibling and uh, like sidelined him. Oh, he got he got abducted, and I'm sure he'll get his you know screen time. But clearly, uh, Cruz here, Princess Kit, um, somebody they're languishing a lot of importance on. I appreciate as well, uh, and I know I've already mentioned Tony Revolori, but and his acting and so forth. I think that it's um, as we are unfolding these. You know, obviously, we're discussing today the two episodes as a viewer unfolds the eight episodes as the writing room cracks the story and so forth. To have a character like Prince Graydon, who a is kind of reluctant to uh, marry with the current system and so forth, he's reluctant to. Uh, one would assume reluctant to lead. The fact that he is a scholar, a linguist, kind of brings all this neat stuff. Um, it's not fully exploited in these two episodes. That's fine. I could certainly see a you know mid mid season episode where you know they're at the the runes and he says, "Wait, this means this." Uh, Pete, frankly, I'm thinking of the scene in the you know the first Lord of the Rings movie slash book where they have to you know decode the uh decode the runes to get into uh to get into the the dwarf kingdom and so forth like just something like that where he's the smart guy he's not the fighting guy he's not the um mm-hmm. you know marked by fate as in Laura, but somebody who who adds to the adds to the adventure and with kit and jade aaron kellerman's character here uh, not shying away from their storyline, from their romance, uh, really a first for Disney plus. Yeah. And that's clearly a benefit there. Um, I had wondered, I think that the show telegraphs it a little bit before it's made completely clear. I don't know that that's a complaint. I mean, particularly look fully kind of understanding especially through the lens of some of the overall, not specifically Jade or Kit dialogue choices, but some of the dialogue choices to have, uh, as I had said to you, Pete, dialogue, and I'm making this up, a dialogue like uh, saying, like, totally for sure, my my liege, my <laughs> prince. It's a style choice. It would not be my style choice, but that's, the, you know, again, if their style choice is, we're going to get the youth by having them talk all like the way the kids talk, except they also have to say, as you totes wish, my prince. If if that's your choice, that's your choice. If you want to end not with grand orchestral music, but you know, uh, indie indie pop music over the credits. Again, that's a choice. Um, that's where I felt it the most. I did not feel it as much with the dialogue. Um, listen, you've you've got to make it palatable for a younger audience some things can be timeless can we soft pedal the approach of willow the 1988 classic it's a film many of us have a soft spot for nobody's including this you know on an afi list or you know uh uh, on a on a congressional list to save the original Ron Howard negative. Um, yeah, I mean, okay. So you, you put some pop music throughout the episode in different spots. Um, I, I think Kasdan here is 
amalgamating like you said i'll i'll buy into a little bit of the you know cw aspect but you know it's a fair attempt at all right we're gonna do a game of thrones willow for the disney plus which to to be a bit more objective on my end or let's say i i adopt the position of you know a disney plus executive i would suspect that the i would suspect that the disney plus power viewing numbers are skewing a little older than they than, than disney plus would have thought at launch um and that's i think speaking to the strength of you know having <laughs> having tv shows on disney plus that are for the most part about characters that have been established for a long time. You know, I'm thinking just off the top of my head, for example, Falcon, and the winter soldier. I mean, when did both quick, can you name the year that they both entered the MCU, whatever it is, it's older than probably your average, um, you know, Disney plus kids account kid. So again, if this is your slightly younger entry point, and if maybe all that isn't hitting for me, so be it. However, I do feel like Pete, I feel like, I feel like there is this property out there, this pop culture property out there, other than Willow, that kind of can apply, can, can appeal to the whole family. And sometimes it has a Misa Jar Jar Binks, and sometimes it has Order sixty six, and and that all works too. But again, if this if this is not that, if this is not approaching the Star Wars flavor of the whole family from five year olds to grandparents, okay, fine, that's fine. You know, a, a medieval action, a drama centered primarily around a, a younger generation okay it's not a super novel idea you can do it clearly davis is the linchpin in doing this but also helping to catapult these newer characters um like i said the kid actress ruby cruz is, is clearly the standout um i do like what they set up by the end of this first episode with the abduction got to go on the mission um and with uh valentine there ralph innocence uh you know general character having been infected and now there's the concern from within being chased as they're on this quest um i think that the tension's appropriate given that we're a quarter of the way first uh, you know, part of this season. Totally agree. We're on the adventure. We're doing long Lord of the Rings film inspired shots of the, the, the English countryside and so forth. What I didn't see coming, um, or, or I suppose I should back up the inclusion of Amar Chada Patel as Borman. I mean, mm -hmm. great presence there. Great. I like the story introduction in terms of like, all right, we're setting the stage here with like, you know, the young and the beautiful in the castle. And look, mom is back. Joanne, Joanne Wally, who, by the way, looking fantastic. Uh, you know, nay, for all these years here, she is probably 60 when they're filming it. She's 61 now. You know, looking great, eating up the screen presence, all of that. Um, but then, you know, when the baddies attack, it's like all of a sudden, like, wait, or actually prior to that, who's she talking to in the dungeon? You know, there's, mm -hmm. there's mystery, there's the itch. Baddies come, quick free him giant guy muscular handsome blah 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 fine he's going to be the adult presence on their uh you know on their journey outside of the castle and so forth that's fantastic what i did not see coming because look we all know 
obviously Val Kilmer's uh, health concerns and, and uh, how throat cancer has impacted his uh, ability to speak and so forth. So I was kind of, you know, I, I, I'm more than happy to give the story uh, for the series here, the story of the past of, you know, Mad Mardian went off and, and dot, dot, dot. All right, I understand how you're not going to get Val Kilmer, so be it. To then have Borman say, oh, hey, the, hey, Kit, there actually is a secret story here with Mad Mardigan. There is a secret history. There is a this, there is a that. There's more than he went off one day, and I hope you audience understand Val Kilmer won't be in this. Uh, instead, Borman saying, hey, there's a, there's a whole adventure that's happened off screen in the past. All of a sudden, I'm sitting up going, well, wait, what, what is possible here? What is possible with Kilmer in his current health? What is ho- possible with doubles and de-aging, et cetera, et cetera? Again, I don't mean to be saying, you know, the, the middle-aged guy arguing for enough with these young and beautiful kids. Give me my Val Kilmer legacy because when I was 10, he was the star of this and he was handsome and I wanted to grow up to be Mad Mardigan. So make Mad Mardigan in this movie. I hope that's not a subconscious driver here, but that the last thing I was expecting was Mad Mardigan in this. And now it's been floated that there's at least more story out there. I really like the way they build the intrigue through Borman. Why is the queen meeting with a prisoner seemingly as some kind of consult? And then to give him the roguish Mad Mardigan mantelpiece, essentially, he went as a squire out on this adventure. Uh, Val Kilmer was looking to reprise his role here. And as I'm watching the first two, I'm like, okay, maybe we're eventually going to get him and cover your ears. If you don't want to hear this right now, he tapped out of filming as uh, Omicron was raging and they were making this. So uh, maybe I haven't heard anything about a second season. If they might uh, go to that, that he ultimately could appear you bring up the the de-aging, they do that with Joanne Wally. I think they did a little bit less with, um, or if at all, because he's got the goatee uh, with Warwick Davis. But to inform it through flashback, um, and again, the serpentine road that their relationship has taken, love that Willow came back and he's trying to uh, surreptitiously train Alora. Um, in her youth there, the importance, and also that, all right, her hair was changed, covering that, that they can inform it that way. And maybe, uh, Matt, perhaps that combats a little bit of your criticism. What is this Willow show without Willow? Um, I mean, it combats it a bit. I, again, maybe, maybe what we saw in the first episode was the best way to do it uh and and maybe um particularly pete as there are i'll just i'll leave it at this as there are rumors that there's another lucasfilm project uh headed i'll keep it very vague pete headed for movie screens next year um that it (laughs) the rumor is it's existing less as a standalone thing but more as a launching pad for something else on disney plus um, and not necessarily, yeah, you know, maybe it's an excuse for a new character to get their own Disney plus show, not an old character to get a Disney plus show. Maybe when we're at Willow season five and I'm like, oh my goodness, Pete, the dove romance with 
uh, Eric, uh, I can't believe they broke up and there I was crying and the fine. And maybe that's all built on the strength of the first episode where you hold off on Willow to get to know these characters. Um, I will say this super smart to drop these two episodes together. Obviously that's not the first time by far the Disney plus or anybody else has done it. Um, I think I would have, I would have been in a much more grumpy mood if it was just like, yeah. And then in the Willow show that they did the one episode and we decided to do a little one-off here on the pop culture podcast, uh, that gave us Willow right at the end. Boo hiss. At least I can say, all right, in the two episodes, I see how they set the table, set things in motion, got the, got the adventure started. And then we end off on the, the great cliffhanger here of, uh, Allura kidnapped herself by Ballantine and company. And I'll double down on that. Um, had to even look up with the reintroduction of Willow's daughter, Mims, that I had to see, is this the original, original actress? Did they cast someone else here, Annabelle Davis? Uh, love that they included that. I want to know where's Kaya, where's the wife, where's the little boy? There seemed some kind of hint that something happened with him. Um, but you know, that hit me in the feels to have the daughter there. That was one of the best things, uh, the, the way they went about with the little people in that original film. And to, to give Annabelle Davis, particularly that moment where, um, Ballantyne, who we know is under the influence of, of, uh, evil forces and so forth where she got, you know, she's the one to step out and to say, mm -hmm. you know, Nope, uh, they were here, but they went there. And to kind of give the, give the brave performance, or I shouldn't say Annabelle Davis was brave to read the lines rather to, to take the moment to give, uh, to give the character of Mims such bravery here. Annabelle Davis did a fantastic job. Pete, I might argue that she's one of the stronger 20 something actors in the show. Um, but just a really great moment there. And again, you know, I, I think I think we naturally root for for Willow and family and community and so forth um, in a way where maybe it's a little bit more difficult to be like, oh, man, it's so rough to be Dempsey Burke, who's so handsome with that flowing hair and muscles and Prince Eric. Well, I guess he's not actually Prince Eric is OK with life, but ah, oh, Kit, there's. Okay, there's gender conventions that that we're brushing up against, which I'm sympathetic to. But man, how's that castle life? Must be pretty awesome there. You don't have to, at least you don't have to bake muffins all day like that Brunhilde there. Um, but but Pete, if nothing else, it is it is a panoply of of interesting people uh, with six episodes to go. Let's not leave out that solo connection here. One, Aaron Kellyman. Okay, and two, we haven't even talked about Junus Sotamo playing the Scourge here, playing the caged-headed uh, baddie uh, who is the most recent, the, the recipient of the Chewbacca uh, legacy there. So I, I think to carry that over, keep it in the Lucasfilm family, launch this new piece here again i've not done the deep dive on all right have they been renewed is this just the eight episodes but i'm enjoying it i hope that people aren't enjoying are enjoying it as well i hope matt maybe enjoys it a little bit 
more, maybe on a level that I have, and uh, really like talking about it here. Yeah, it would be fun uh, at the somewhere at the conclusion of the season to kind of go back and revisit. Um, I was let me this way, Pete. I'll, I'll say I'll take a deep breath. I'll say objectively, I'm glad. I'm glad that you suggested we podcast these two episodes. I'm glad that you said let's kind of do it in brief form, not setting up a week to week podcast and so forth. I think it's the this is the right size podcast for for the show and so forth. And I'm looking forward to see where the uh, the long and winding road takes us. Well, in the meantime, Matt, we've certainly got other things that are hitting both the pop culture podcast feed as well as Patreon, which really drives everything we do, particularly at a time of year where all the bills come due. Yes, and big thanks to everybody who's been with us uh, both all year on Patreon and also some of the recent additions and so forth. As you say, Pete, you know, it's just just because the nature of the beast in terms of when Fantastic Geek first kicked things off and so forth, some of those year-end bills coming on in and uh, time to pay the piper, etc. And to be listener-supported, to have that huge, huge help there is so very much appreciated. So our continuing thanks. And as we turn the calendar to 2023, Matt, the 10th anniversary already of Fantastic Geek coming up. Some special things planned for that. But all of that made possible by patreon.com slash Fantastic Geek. And Pete, let's keep the Willow conversation, the pop culture conversation going. How can people be in touch with you on Twitter? You can find me on Twitter at Peter, P-I-E-T-E-R-J-K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R, 12,584 followers, can't be wrong. And while I'm personally on Twitter is Looking Back Lost, do me a touch of the podcast, comment on fantasticgeek.com. Check us out on Twitter, Instagram, and Gmail, where we are Fantastic Geek as well. But wait, Pete, there's more. Facebook.com slash Fantastic Geek with the PH, all one word, like it today. And Pete, as mentioned on yesterday's Andor podcast, uh, between now and second half of uh, January, we're going to be having a Star Wars focus, what with no scripted shows out there, weirdly, after a big run of busyness. So uh, in a couple days' time, we will be putting on the Pop Culture Podcast feed a rerun of our podcast for Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace, uh, and then brand new content next weekend as we talk Star Wars Episode Two: Attack of the Clones. Looking forward to uh, sticking with the Lucasfilm universe here, by and large, through uh, through the end of uh, the end of this year and into the new year. Oh, sticking it indeed when we talk about Attack of the Clones, but you'll get that when we give that to you. Well, that, Pete, I will say adios to our listeners and give you the final Willow word. Talk to you soon. Mm-hmm.